The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. For the past several weeks, I've been getting a long parade of these emails from just about every company and organization imaginable. And they're all trying to do one thing. They're reassuring me that they have my back during this coronavirus crisis. Everyone from World Vision to Pioneers to Chase Bank to Western Union, uh, Visa, Hilton Hotels, America Airlines, American Airlines, State Farm, uh, even Lou Malnati's and Panera, Egg Harbor Cafe and and Domino's Pizza, they're all telling me that they've got my back. They're all reassuring me that they're doing their part to make sure I'll be okay during this crisis. And I'm guessing that you've received similar emails from companies and organizations like this yourself. Everyone is sending out these emails because they all know what insecure and frightening times we're going through right now. With over 81,000 positive testings, the U.S. now has more cases of COVID-19 than any other country in the world. There have also, to date, been over 1,000 deaths linked to COVID-19. And the experts tell us that we haven't yet reached the peak of this outbreak. We also know that there is widespread underreporting because there simply aren't enough coronavirus test kits available to healthcare providers in order to meet the demand. The number of states completely closing down all school districts and ordering shelter in place restrictions continues to grow as well. Hospitals are bracing for the very real possibility of not having enough respirators. And maybe not even having enough doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers to care for the anticipated surge of critically ill patients that are likely to fill their hospital beds in the near future. And I want to say that there are different levels of stress and trouble that we experience in life. We all know what it's like to experience minor setbacks and disturbances to our plans, like not getting that job that we really hoped for, or finding out that a close friend may have lied to us. And then as we go through life, we also encounter more significant personal challenges, like being diagnosed with a major illness or losing a loved one. But then there are the greatest catastrophes, that not only affect our lives personally, but impact the entire nation or maybe the whole world. These are crises that shake us to the core and make us wonder if life can ever fully return to normal again. In fact, in recent years, we've coined this term, quote, the new normal, to describe the fact that things never completely return to normal after certain events but that we have to get used to a whole new reality in the wake of a catastrophe. 
And I believe this COVID-19 pandemic may be one of those moments that we're all going through in this generation. In light of this situation that we're facing, I want to preach today on Psalm 46, which was also written during such a moment of crisis. The psalm is broken into three parts, all of which end in this word, Selah. And we don't actually know what this Hebrew word Selah means. That translation of it has been sort of lost in history. But we do know this, is that 31 out of the 39 psalms that use the word Selah also give us in the title the word instruction to the choir master. And so it is most likely a musical term giving some kind of instruction to the person conducting the choir as to how to sing the psalm as a song. Many scholars believe that the word Selah specifically instructs us to just pause and reflect on what has just been said or sung. In light of this, I want to briefly look at each one of these sections in Psalm 46 to organize the sermon and see through it what God's perspective is when we go through crises like the one we're going through right now. The psalm begins with the first section, verses 1 through 3, and it reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. We don't know the historical details of the event that prompted this psalm. Some scholars think that it's most likely related to some kind of a major war that was ongoing that involved the surrounding pagan nations, but then also swept up Israel into that combat. One thing is clear, though. It was catastrophic. The Bible begins in Genesis with the creation account of God systematically making order out of chaos. Specifically, God calls forth land to appear in order to separate the vast waters of the world, creating a place suitable for people to settle in. And the body of waters, these large bodies of water are often portrayed in the Bible in a negative light as places of danger and chaos and even evil. That's why in Revelation, we're told that in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no more sea. And it means that God will have dealt definitively at the very end of history with all of the chaos and darkness that the sea represents. Even today, our oceans remain a place of mystery and even fear because None of us can tame it. And there's still so much in those dark depths that we haven't explored or don't really know. But in these opening verses, the psalmist paints a terrifying picture of the exact opposite of what occurred in creation happening as now the earth gives way and even the mountains are swallowed up into the heart of the sea. He, in other words, is inviting us to imagine every solid ground 
consumed by huge swells of roaring and foaming waves crashing everywhere. It's one thing to go through a setback or a major challenge in your life personally. But what do you do when disaster strikes of a level that makes you doubt whether the world as you've come to know it and come to rely on it will survive? That is what the psalmist is inviting us to imagine. A crisis that threatens the most foundational sense of security that we hold in life. And yet in the midst of this overwhelming catastrophe, the psalmist makes an incredible declaration. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the midst of this trouble. In other words, even when it looks like the very fabric of God's creation work is being torn apart, it is not because God is distant or absent. He hasn't left us. He's still near to us. That's why the psalmist continues in verses 4 to 7 in the second section of the psalm. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. In stark contrast to these first three verses that pictured a dark, terrifying ocean swallowing up even mountains, the psalmist now brings us to a peaceful city protected from any danger and with a peaceful river running through it giving life to all that it touches. The picture of a city of God shows up repeatedly in the Bible as a place reserved for God's people where they will experience the joy of God's salvation for eternity. And why is that? It's because God himself dwells in that city. And because of it, that city will be immovable. Though it may look like there are all kinds of external dangers that threaten the city, the inhabitants have nothing to fear. Why? Because even though the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, God is with us. And with the simple utterance of his voice, the psalmist tells us the earth melts away. In last week's message, I talked about how as our fears grow, God becomes diminished in our hearts. The invitation of the psalmist to his fellow Israelites going through this catastrophe, though, is to remind them that despite the chaos of this present circumstance that they're experiencing, God is in complete control of his creation. And so he closes his psalm with these words. Everything that he's been saying up to now has been descriptive. But now, the language changes in this last section to that of command. In verses 8 to 11, the psalmist writes, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. 
He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse 10 is arguably the most famous verse in this psalm. And when we think about the command to be still, I think most of us, when we try to apply it personally, basically imagine our lives busy with a nonstop schedule. And in this verse, we are being invited by God to just slow down and calm ourselves before him. And I think there is a validity to applying it in this way. But in the context of this psalm, the emphasis is a bit different. The psalmist describes a chaotic scene of nations making war with one another, each of them trying to gain the upper hand, pursuing their own agendas. One kingdom toppled by another. And in the midst of that chaos, God enters the scene and declares, Be still. There are many different Hebrew words that the psalmist could have used to give this command of being still. But the one that he uses carries with it a particularly strong force that is stronger than simply calm yourselves down. It's more like a person of authority giving an order to basically, if we were to try to use modern terminology, quote, cease and desist. In other words, stop whatever you're doing. Stop all of your frantic activity so that in that stillness, you can know that I am God. I am the one who controls all things. I am the one who will be exalted. Now, I hope it's pretty obvious how relevant the truths in this psalm are to the situation that we're facing with this COVID-19 pandemic. Like the events that surrounded the writing of Psalm 46, I think we're experiencing a crisis that is tearing at the very foundations of our sense of security as a society. The most basic elements of community have been stripped from us as we've been ordered to, quote, shelter in place in our homes, avoiding contact with others, if at all possible. And when we do venture out of our homes, we enter into a world infested by this COVID-19 virus. Everything we touch may transmit this disease to us. So all of us are fastidiously washing our hands and using hand sanitizer wearing masks. So how should we respond? Let me offer you two specific ways that we can apply this psalm to how we face this ongoing crisis. And the first is simply this. Be at peace in your hearts as you put your trust in God. I just love the contrasting picture painted to us in this psalm 
of, on the one hand, a raging ocean swallowing up the earth and a city with a calm river immune to all of the chaos outside of its walls because God dwells in it. The picture of God dwelling with his people was fulfilled through Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is telling us is that God made his dwelling permanently with us by giving his Son, Jesus Christ, to us. Because Christ reconciled us with the Father, he is now always with us in our hearts. Our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of need. And that is why in a moment of crisis like this, we are invited with confidence to approach God's throne of grace and seek his mercy and seek his help. As 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The presence of God is an invitation to us to seek the refuge that he alone can provide in the midst of this storm. And yet at the same time, this doesn't mean that we have a blanket guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen to us. More specifically, I am not going to stand at this pulpit as your pastor and give you false assurances that because you are a believer, you won't get COVID-19. But the hope of the gospel is this, that no matter what happens to us in this life, we know that there is a city waiting for us in a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell with us forever. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 2, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This is the promise of Jesus to us. And if we truly believe this, then it ought to make all the difference in the world how we as Christians go through this COVID 19 crisis. We don't have to succumb to the same fears that are gripping everyone else because we know that we are in God's hands. I think this is such an important moment for us as Christians living in America because the truth is we don't get many opportunities to demonstrate this belief in meaningful ways. I've always struggled whenever I had to preach on persecution passages in the Bible, talking about all of the horrible things that we're going to have to endure because of Jesus' name. 
Because preaching messages like that in America, it always feels like we have to attach as preachers some kind of an apologetic footnote, pointing out that, well, we don't really experience life like this. We don't get persecuted like this because we live in America where we have freedom of religion. And so we always have to say, well, but if we did, then I'm sure we would stand firm. And we hope that our faith would stand firm in that hypothetical situation. And I think the same is true when we read these Bible passages that describe all kinds of terrible trials and disasters that the world must face. And I think the truth is we struggle to relate to those passages as well because we live in a country that through our wealth can provide us with so much security so much constancy. But what, I'm gonna, what I am saying is, is this. The COVID-19 crisis has taken us from the hypothetical to the real. Think about how differently you would have read Psalm 46 even two months ago before all of this COVID-19 stuff even began. Oh, yeah, it's nice. The mountains falling into the oceans. And God is telling me, be still and know that he is God. But think about how these words speak to us today in the midst of this crisis. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 to 57, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the way that Paul is basically kind of smack-talking death, saying, look at you, death. He's, he's taunting death and saying, you hold no power over us as believers in Christ. And I think we would all like to believe that we share Paul's view of death, but now we are actually given an opportunity to demonstrate that faith by the courage with which we face this real life and death situation. And so the question is this, will we stand? And will we be courageous even in the face of possible death to know that we do not have to have the same fear that the world has? The second application point is simply this. Pray for God's purposes to be fulfilled through this crisis. In last week's message, I expressed concern that our prayers may amount to nothing more than asking God to deliver us from this crisis so that we can basically get back to the comfort and security as life as usual, our normal lives. But when that is the extent of our prayers in this crisis, I think it means that we may not believe that there is actually deeper spiritual realities behind things like wars or natural disasters or plagues. Because the truth is, we can explain all of that without ever invoking God in the picture. And in that way, the scary thing is 
we may not be all that different in the way that we think about life when we compare ourselves to non-Christians. Especially when we think about this COVID-19 crisis. I think as I'm looking at all of the news feeds and everything, from a world's perspective, this is just basic science. Viral mutations happen in our world all the time. And when one causes trouble like this, we just have to buckle down and do whatever is necessary as a global community to get through it. And once we do get through it through our scientific efforts, we can get back to life as we knew it. We're just, in other words, trying to get through this outbreak with our lives intact, like everyone else is. But as I pointed out in last week's message, I think that is too weak a view of God's sovereignty. To say that God is with us doesn't mean that he is just a mere fellow passenger on the ride with us who just so happens to be more powerful than us and so we can ask him to help us in whatever way that he can. Look at the way God is described in the psalm itself. In verse 6 it says, He utters his voice, the earth melts. In verses 8 to 9, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is not talking about God as a bystander, a witness to these events. But this is a God whose hand is at work in his creation, even in events like this. And I know that's a difficult pill to swallow. And I am not going to get into all of the ways we can talk through ideas of causation and explanation for why God would allow these types of disasters to happen on the earth. But one, and I, I don't even know if there's even one simple explanation to something like COVID-19. But one thing Scripture does point us to, though, is this. That whatever happens in the course of history, good or bad, it is all for God's glory. Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth whether that is God's saving, delivering hand or his hand of wrath. In all things that God purposes, it is for his glory. And so our prayers must align with God's agenda, not only to get through this difficult time, but to pray that God's purposes would be accomplished. And if, if the one thing we can know is that in everything, God wants hearts to turn to him and lives to be surrendered to him. I don't want to make light of the very real fears that are going on right now and our need for God's help and protection. But God is saying something more profound to us. He's saying, be still in the frenetic activity that you are doing right now and know that I am God. 
that I am in control and that my purposes will be accomplished in all things. And I think that is God's invitation to us of a heart surrendered to that will. Thy will be done. And even in this difficult time, God, draw people to yourself that you will be exalted in our hearts and in the nations. I want to close by sharing with you the lyrics of a famous hymn that I'm sure all of you know well. It was written by Martin Luther, the great reformer, who, inspired by Psalm 46, wrote this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 4 in that hymn, and it says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Doth ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. God, grant to us the faith of this psalmist, that even in the midst of catastrophe, of what seems like the very work of your creation being undone in our midst. To know that you are ever present with us. And even as we look at a picture of dark waters swallowing up the mountains of our earth, give us also that picture of your city with a river running through it, protected from all of the chaos and the harm that surrounds it. And because of what Christ has done for us, may we have the confidence of your nearness and presence with us, that even though death look us in the eye, we have nothing to fear in that death, because we know that a city awaits us, a city that will last forever, where we will dwell in your presence forever. We do, in believing in your presence with us, continue to pray for your safety over our people and ask for your mercy and your grace extended to us to show us your love and your care and your protection over us. But we also do pray that your greater purposes would be accomplished even through a plague like this. May many hearts turn to you 
and know that you and you alone are God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And now receive the benediction. Be still and know that he is God. Know that the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress.